Over my 44 years as an ordained person, the one question that I have been asked more than any is straight out of our Gospels. Teach us to pray. That sounds rather strange because as Episcopalians, we know how to pray. Just tell us the page number and we'll follow you along. Well, obviously, Jesus' disciples had no page numbers, and even if they did, wouldn't have done them any good. Because I doubt any of them knew how to read. Be an Episcopalian if you don't know how to read. But this morning's lessons, uh, the Genesis 18 lesson and our lesson from Luke's Gospel, chapter 11... Uh, the short verse, the Lord. Well, that's Matthew's account, you know, that most of us know. Um, but this morning, uh, if your lectionary preacher has to be on, and I'm a lectionary preacher, so you're going to learn about prayer. And what I have learned over the last 44 years very shortened, um, as well as things I wish someone told me and taught me a long time ago. To begin with, uh, I want to tell you about my most persistent prayer. If you're really honest with yourself... Say your most persistent prayer, most of you immediately are going to a situation in your life where someone was sick or dying or, you know, you found yourself without a job or, or whatever the case may be. Your most persistent prayer, you shouldn't have a lot of hard time to think about that. But I want to tell you about my. seminary and being an assistant for three years. Uh, I took a second job as an assistant because, as my wife lovingly said to me, you're not old enough to be a rector yet. Uh, So uh, I took a second assistant job. Uh, We finished what we thought was our family with four children and learned uh, that there was a child who needed a home. So we brought her into our household. She took our name. She began as a Holcomb. And uh, she was an amazing little girl. She came to live with us shortly before her third birthday. And... uh, Things. We had her baptized. Uh, we got her potty trained. Um, we really should have done that in the other order. Um, uh, but, um, you know, she, she had had a very difficult young life. And also, um, the hardest thing for us when she first came is... She would go to bed at night, and every night she would take the sheets off her bed because they felt funny to her because she'd never slept on a bed with sheets. 
Well, anyway, Michelle lived with us uh, all her third year, and um, we got a very bad phone call. And that phone call was that her mother had died. And after eight court hearings, and this is back in 1980, over $40,000 in legal fees, she was taken away from us. So not only did we have to deal with the loss of of a little girl that we had given our name to and uh, invited into our family, um, our one daughter, uh, you know, couldn't understand why God would do this. And uh, she wasn't the only one. My wife and myself had a really hard time. As a priest, I want to tell you, I trust God in all things, but I'm not always happy with him. And certainly uh, that situation was significant. My prayer for Michelle was that she um, have a loving home, a wonderful life, and that someday we would meet again, if only in glory. Thirty-one years, my wife and I prayed. And about six years ago, I was minding my own business, rector of St. David's by the Sea in Cocoa Beach. I'd just done a Wednesday night service. Everything was fine. Slipped out to my car in the muddy grass and on the way picked up my phone to get my messages. And it was from her. We tried to find her. We even contacted that TV show, Long Lost Family, you know. Couldn't find her. She found out. And 10 days later, 16 of us flew to Philadelphia as an adult. We have completely welcomed her back into our family. We are actually now, I know this sounds really weird, um, but we're trying to make it legal and thinking about adopting an adult. Um, we get together six you know, many, many times a year um, when she had another child. Uh, Lenore went out and helped her just like she would have if she was one of our own biological children. But that experience taught me to never give up hope. In our readings this morning, we have some lessons that are interwoven through the story that a lot of times people miss. So I want to make sure that you get the important stuff. You put the emphasis on the right syllable uh, in these readings. So if you'll pull out your bulletins, I want to point out some things to you.
That first reading from Genesis 18, uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Genesis, uh, basically what's happened is Abraham has been called, uh, he has been circumcised, he is now in covenant with God, God is calling him to, um, you know, get ready to welcome his son, which is kind of difficult when you're a hundred and your wife is 90. Um, but uh, any, anybody in here expecting that I want, want to have a blessing of a pregnant woman, just mention that at the altar and I'll be happy to take care of that. My guess is that most of you are, are beyond that uh, joy. Um, but in this story, uh, what we see is God is told Abraham that he is going to pour out judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abram is very troubled by this. And in the text... I want to point out a few things. Then the Lord said, Oftentimes people fail to realize God initiates everything. When you woke up this morning, hey, I'm going to church, see who the crazy new guy is. Um, maybe that was your first thought. Maybe you're, I don't know, I just, it's Sunday, I'm supposed to be at church. But that desire, that encouragement, that call from God, that wasn't you. It was Him. He's put that very need in your heart. We are created like a puzzle where one piece of the puzzle is left out. And that's God. And if you're a puzzle maker, you know how frustrating that can be. That one piece that's left out is our need for Him to be complete and to be whole. God calls Abram to prayer. And in doing so, notice Abram remains standing before the Lord. Now, he didn't have his prayer book in his hand. The priest didn't say, let us kneel. Okay. But typically, the the ancient world was standing. And it's going to be in this position. It's called the Oran's position. That's the same posture that the priest celebrates Eucharist with. But that was the for all people. Yeah, even if you were right one people. Okay? You you didn't have to be right two or spirit filled or anything else. Everybody prayed like this. And Abram uh, goes out, stands before the Lord, and then notice the text says something very strange. Abraham came What does that mean? There's no temple. There's no sanctuary. There's no Ark of the Covenant. There's nothing. He came here. This is an expression that's used in Genesis when people are coming into a posture of prayer. There are a couple of mentions earlier in the book of Genesis 
this where there are little idioms, uh, you know, so-and-so stood before the Lord, whatever. But actually, this is the first prayer that we have the text of the prayer in the Bible. The very first one. And, you know, if you heard when this was read very beautifully, thank you by Gloria. Um, if you heard when this was read, well, Abraham and God are bargaining. Okay? Then you didn't hear the story correctly. Because what's happening in this story is Abraham is interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah. He's praying for them diligently. And notice he's having this kind of conversation with God. Now, we all know we like to be out in an hour. Uh, so, you know, you can't lengthen the reading a whole lot. But, you know, if I had been reading, I would have said, um, suppose there are 50 righteous men in the city. Well, what if I'm five short? Well, what if there are 40 or 30 or 20 or 10? Has anybody read Genesis lately? You know how many righteous Abram found? Four. And one of them turned into a pillar of salt. In all Sodom, there are only three people who escape with their lives. And if you go on and read Genesis a little further, you'll see that two of those don't stay righteous very long. The piece that I want you to see about this story is that this is a call to prayer. God has put a burden on Abraham's heart in such a way that he's praying for who? He's praying for people that he doesn't know. He's praying for people he doesn't like. He's praying for people he doesn't agree with. He's praying for people that the only connection that he has with Sodom and Gomorrah is he knows that his nephew Lot has been hanging out there. But God gave him a burden. And Abraham risked it all. To be truly honest in prayer... There's going to be risk involved. Because you know what? God may call you to do things you don't want to do. But a part of our faithful response to this dialogue and prayer is, God, here am I. I'm your servant. Whatever you call me to do, I will do. I remember when I went to Bishop Brewer when he was first um, elected and consecrated bishop and I went to him as a part of my tradition and I said, I just want you to know as a priest, I am submitting my spiritual authority to, to you and anything that you ask me to do within reason that I can do, I will say yes. I didn't know he was going to ask me to be canon to the ordinary. Um, or I might have, you know, fudged a little bit on that. But ultimately when he did ask, I said yes. Knowing that I didn't have the talent or the smarts or the gifts to do it. But I trusted that God had something to do with this. Because I didn't apply for the job. I've never wanted to be canon to the ordinary. 
And yet, in God's sense of humor, I can tell you this job is one I'm having more fun doing than any of the other jobs. Sorry about that, former congregations, if you're listening. Uh, But I, I love this job. It's fascinating. So in this passage, one of the things that I want you to really see about this dialogue that Abram has with God is Abram constantly takes not a leadership role, but a subservient role. You know, Lord, I don't need to remind you all I've done for you, how I left my homeland and I've I've walked all this way and, you know, these aren't my people, but, you know, I know you called me here. What does he say? He says in his response to, to the Lord, you know, far be it from me. I'm just dust and ashes. Um, you know, Lord, if you, I'm just going to ask you one last time. How, how, about if, how about if we only have 20? Okay. You see, I think that one of the things that's an obstacle to prayer is while we're called to take God seriously, I think we take ourselves too seriously. I think there are times when we need to say to God, I am really ticked at you. And he got several years worth of that from my wife and I when Michelle was taken away from us. We know you're going to redeem this. Don't know how. And he did. The second thing that I want you to see in these readings about prayer is from the gospel and Please don't worry a whole lot about the difference between Matthew's account and Luke's account because Mark and John don't have one at all. But the piece that I want you to to see about prayer, the, the lessons that Jesus gives, is it's not necessarily a rote prayer like many of us have made the Lord's Prayer. Oh, we're just going to tack that on at the end because it sounds Christian. Jesus invites the disciples. Luke's story occurs um, when one disciple comes to ask Jesus about prayer. But Matthew's account happens in the context of the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. There's a whole bunch of people listening. And I can almost envision Jesus saying, well, these are important things. But not necessarily that you cram them all together. There may be times that our prayers are only one thing. We don't have to have them all. The gospel also calls us to what? Persistence. Okay. And 30 years and counting down the line and that prayer to the Lord, you know, are you going to redeem what happened to our daughter? We still prayed it. And in year 31, bingo. Persistence. And then we are told, ask, seek, knock. But again, if you don't read closely enough, you won't see. Each of those admonitions also have a promise. Ask, and guess what? 
you shall receive. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door is going to be open to us. Okay, but how many times when we enter into prayer do we think, I'm going to ask, but this is futile. And I'm going to search, but you know, I'm not really expecting to find a whole lot. And I'm going to knock, but, you know. Important reason why. Thank you, Susan. There's a very important reason why we begin every worship service with the prayer. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. That's the context of healthily entering into prayer. This isn't magic. This isn't like we're going to rub the the lamp and the genie is going to come out. This is we're entering into this experience of a living, loving relationship with God who desires us. Does everybody know what Jesus is doing right this second according to the Bible? Well, if it was in the prayer book, I'd know the answer, Scott. Okay? But I'm going to give you the answer. He is interceding. He is praying for you. That's a part of his job as the high priest of heaven. He is interceding for us. He is already in prayer for you and for me. And you know what? He calls us to come alongside. You'll notice at the beginning of the service, I didn't say our worship begins. Do you know why? Because that's not what our theology says. If you read the book of Revelation, you will see that there is a perpetual worship of Almighty God. And all we do at uh, 10 o'clock on Sunday morning is we dial in to join a service already in progress. We're not starting worship. We're joining in with the host of heaven, with all those in all time who have known the Lord. You see, prayer is not static. It's not just rote memory. It's saying to God, you know my desires. You know the thoughts of my heart. No secrets are hid. I'm just coming to hang out with you. And whatever you want me to do, I will do. The catechism in the prayer book even puts the exclamation point. If you were to go to the uh, prayer book, I'm not going to ask you to do that right now because I noticed you don't have prayer books in your pews. Um, But if you were to go to the catechism, one of the things that you would see is the catechism definition for prayer. Listen closely because it's fabulous. Uh, 
Prayer is responding to God by thought or by deed, with or without words. Responding to God by thought or by deed, with or without words. That's how we can pray unceasingly. That's how we can come before the Father and expect that he is going to open the gates of heaven for us. But what he calls us to do is come. So take the time. Make the time. Even other than 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. And you will discover he's waiting for you. Be patient. Be silent. Don't rush him. And he will speak to your heart. The more you listen, the more obedient you are, the more thankful you are in response to him, the more he speaks, the more he acts, the more he blesses. So I invite you into this risky practice of prayer. But I would advise you, be guided by God's word. It will never steer you wrong. But be open to whatever it is that God is calling you to do. Amen.